This is Rat Skates of Overkill. You're listening to Japan Nick's Rock and Metal Pandemonium on WMSC 90.3 FM. This is uh, Sarke. I'm Nocturnal on vocals. I'm Sarke. I play bass. And you are listening to Japan Nick's Rock and Metal Pandemonium. This is Tim Barr, frontman for Silverbird, and you are listening to Japan Nick's Rock and Metal Pandemonium. Lost in the sunshine on your face
Hey, what's up? This is Japan Nick.、Um, today is September 25th, 2015, and you're tuned in to Japan Nick's Rock and Metal Pandemonium. Today I interview Danny Simonisi, the publisher and founder of the zine Machinery of the Human Heart. Now, Danny, please tell me a bit about yourself. What's your history as a music fan and being involved in the general North Jersey music scene? Well,、um, as a music fan, really,、um, my roots are in very like, classical things. Like, so, I grew up as a classical pianist in like, a family of all musicians. And like, I honestly didn't even know what、um, other kinds of music were out there until I got an iPod when I was in middle school. And I think that's when I really began to like, delve in and like,、um, look at all these other bands that I had no idea existed.、Um, so, I think that's when I. Uh, began, began to be more of an avid music fan and not just like a musician, I guess.、Um, Now, how much time did you spend really getting into piano practice and things of that nature? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, I, I mean, like when I was little, I didn't really practice、um, as much as I was supposed to, and, but I would like find ways around it and like switch the endings of songs and things, and I had fun with it anyway. But when I started getting around to like, 14 and 15, I started practicing for like four hours plus a day. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was really intense. Yeah, like with me, I played violin pretty much from when I was eight till about 13 or 14. The thing was, it was just like my high school did not offer like violin、oh, or、yeah. orchestra. And it was just like, wow, thanks. That, that really、That's、helps、tough. me along. And、um, picked up、uh, guitar a little bit. In the 2000s, but I mean, it's just like I, I've always just been like a friend of like music people and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, totally. But like, I really think that music in schools is like super important, you know? Like, that could have been like a really awesome experience for you.、Uh, yeah, I mean,、um, there's because of like when I was playing violin and orchestra, I really have a very great respect for very talented musicians and just I, I look at certain heavy metal musicians as phenomenally talented. Um, just like with really intricate guitar work、oh, or fun drummers or something like that. And it's just, I mean, I wish people would have like a little bit of a respect for like the extreme metal community. But oh, man. I mean, like, I've,、um, I'm not like a super avid like metal fan, but I've actually、um, seen, I think, some bands live at one point.、Um, but. It was kind of a while ago, but honestly, I think that the technique involved in the guitar playing and stuff is like insane and amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean,、um, just certain people, like、um, my favorite band, Rigor Mortis,、mm -hmm. um, the guitarist, Mike Scotch, like I say this all the time, but it's just like I, I looked at him when he was alive. I got to see two concerts with him.、Right. Um, once was in New York City in 2003 when he was playing with Ministry. The other was when I went out to Texas in 2011. And it's just like you looked at him and it's like, there's no way you didn't sell your soul to play that awesome. It was, it was just like seeing a god. Yeah.、Um, just, I, I mean, everybody that's a musician pales in comparison to him, in comparison to him just because like, he was just that amazing. Wow, yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to listen to some of that then.、Um, but, like, yeah, I can definitely identify with that. It's like crazy when you, know, you look up to somebody and you listen to their music, and then it's a totally different experience where you either meet them in person by some crazy chance or like, you see them live and it's like, wow, this is a person that has been behind all this stuff that's inspired me. Now, 
tell me about like how you got into making zines. Like how many zines have you seen before before you decided to say, you know what, I'm going to publish my own? Honestly, all it really took was like one or like two zines um, because uh, I, I saw Riot Girl and I think that was really awesome um, by Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Kill. And I thought like that was really awesome and empowering um, because she had come to speak at uh, my college actually. Um, one of the presidents of the Pride Club there uh, got her to speak there and it was so amazing. Um, she talked a lot about her zine, about her artistic inspiration, and kind of her goals and, like, all the politics and um, some really amazing things surrounding Bikini Kill. And all it took was, like, she handed out, like, a flyer of, I think, one of the pages from Riot Girl, and it really inspired me because it had all these, like, positive affirmations and stuff like that. And it was like, you know what? I want to make something mm -hmm. empowering to other people, whether that's through images or writing. Now, like... How big of, like, a press do you think she had with that issue? Oh, gosh. I think I have no idea. Um, but it definitely takes a lot of work to put into that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, depending upon what you're doing, whether it's, like, the cut-and-paste stuff or it's just, like, you're commissioning different people along the way mm -hmm. to come up with different art, and it's just, like, the editing of it, I mean, it's just like I did one myself years ago, and it's just, it just took me like over a year and I think a half to get everything ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like it, it depends on like how far you want to go and everything. Um, but that's like really amazing. Like I have uh, some of these zines right here that you're showing me, and like these are so intricate and awesome, and I'm like getting schooled right now. <laughs> this but is pretty cool. On that note, why don't we listen to Rebel Girl from Bikini Kill? Sounds good. I love that one. <laughs> okay.
Hey, what's up? This is Japan Nick of Japan Nick's Rock and Metal Pandemonium. You're listening to WMSC 90.3. I have with me today Danny Simonissi, the founder of the zine Machinery of the Human Heart. Now, um, we just heard Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill, and uh, Danny was just taking a look at the new Headsplit zine, Headsplit 8. What do you dig about this new issue from Headsplit? Oh my gosh, I... I absolutely love the artwork. This is amazing. It's so like detailed and like beautifully grotesque, I think. Um, I love the fonts and everything and how um, I especially love that the way that uh, they made uh, the title, it kind of looks like tree branches wrapping around. I think that's like really well done. Um, I'm looking through a bunch of the artwork too and like I'm looking through this stuff and I'm like, yo, I would get this as a tattoo. <laughs> Um, it's absolutely beautiful, and I can't wait to read through it. Um, this was my first time looking through this zine, so uh, thank you so much. Um, he actually traded this uh, with me, which is really awesome, and I thank him for that. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I, I want more people on the East Coast to like be aware of Head Split, just because I, I mean, Head Split is from Portland, Oregon, and it's just it'd be great. Like, but I mean, there's only so much reach the West can have with the East, you know. Yeah, I hear you. So you you really need to like push hard if you want to have any sort of like crossover stuff going on yeah. with like either the east coast and the going on to the west or the west going on the east, but I mean that's what you need, you know? Yeah. And I think um it's amazing how zines get around sometimes, uh, especially if like people trade a lot of them. Um, I think it would be really cool or something to make, like, a comic that shows how um, a zine passes through the hands of, like, so many people, um, especially, like, among people who, like, trade them and stuff. I think that would be awesome. I think it's a great way for them to travel as well, you know, reach, like, new audiences. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, all my zines are pretty much secondhand except for a couple. And, I mean, it's just, like, some of the old ones, it's just, like, Whoa, like if you're looking at something that was made in like 1991 or something, mm -hmm. a lot of people were in possession of that. Yeah, like I looked at uh, some of the stuff in your collection and it's absolutely beautiful. And the shape that this stuff is in is like incredible. Um, I think it's so awesome. Uh, I have actually never really like seen like a bunch of like older zines before. Um, I'm actually pretty new to the zine community. Um, so this is really amazing. Uh, that uh, you brought your collection here. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not everything, but I tried to pick out a bunch of cool stuff to show. I mean, certain things I don't like to bring around just because it's like, some stuff is irreplaceable. Oh, but, definitely, um, yeah. I mean, you do need, it's kind of like, if you have a collection of cool stuff, you have to show it every once in a while. Otherwise, there's no point in even having the collection. Right, yeah. I hear you, but there's always, you know, those few pieces of a collection that are, like, almost, like, sacred in a way, you know? Yeah, then it's, like, let's say I have, like, these Japanese vinyls of things like, say, Rain and Blood mm -hmm. or special Japanese CDs or things of that nature, and it's just, like, I mean, I've pretty much retired my record collection for the time being until I'm able to put on like this really expensive needle onto it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have really good records, it's best that you have a really good needle, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just like you, if you really care about your collection and you have some really cool stuff, you owe it to yourself oh, totally. to 
spend the time into taking good care of it. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I don't have, like, a great record player yet, but it's definitely something that I want to invest in in the future. Um, I've only started collecting, you know, some vinyls from, you know, bands that I like. <laughs> so, I'm getting there. Definitely. Now, um, what would be another good song to listen to? Hmm, do you have, let's see, what else is on there? Um, didn't we have, we had, like, Body Snatchers Forever on there, right? Yeah, yeah, but that, that has a little bit of profanity, so <laughs> let's steer away from that. Oh, okay, um, let's see, I think... Uh, is Little Razorblade on there? Yes. Cool. Okay. Promote it up. Sounds good. Oh, okay. So Little Razorblade um, had this really cool, like, fuzzy vibe to it, I guess. Um, and for me, like, music is, like, highly visual. Um, so when I first heard it, the color pink came to mind. And then I took a look at the album cover, and it was also pink. And I was like, hey, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, so, like, I imagine how the band members would be dressed and everything, and, um, I feel like music definitely does have color, and, uh, the colors that I guess I, I imagined while listening to this song, uh, were what kind of drew me to it, I guess, and the fuzzy kind of feeling. It was actually great to listen to, uh, during Machinery of the Human Heart, during the making of it. Here we go.
All right, that was uh, Little Razorblade with the Pink Spiders. Now, uh, Danny just hooked me up with a uh, second copy of her zine, Machinery of the Human Heart. Now, pretty much, what were some of the more radical changes that you went into comparing to issue two to issue one? All right, so uh, issue one was like I got uh, a, uh, a size of paper um, 11 by 17, and I folded it. Um, so it was like really tiny, uh, I guess, the uh, final product. And so for this one, instead, it has like a larger cover. So I had a little bit more freedom and uh, a little bit more space. Um, so I kind of took liberties with that and I made, you know, the cover image a little bit larger. And also, um, it's basically a bunch of like 8x11s um, folded down the middle. So. It's bigger, it has more pages, more content, which was actually a challenge, but also a learning experience. How did the personality of the zine change moving um, forward? Hmm, I think, like, the second issue is definitely more, I feel like, genuine. The first one was attempting to convey a persona, because in the first one, actually, there was kind of a sequence where I portrayed the author, I guess, or myself as some, like, creepy, like, surgeon character. <laughs> and I, I decided to kind of throw that away, and I guess I'm kind of writing from a genuine perspective here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can, like, just read this, and it's like, you're actually, like, talking like a real person. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know, I can hear what you're saying. You seem... Like, yeah, it's down to earth and everything like that. And it's just like, I can understand you. Yeah. Definitely. Um, that was the goal. <laughs> and also, it's like very punk with like certain like pages where I'm looking at like lots of different cutouts of images that were like cut and pasted where it's just like, I can tell like you spent a good long time creating some of these pages. Oh, definitely. Like, actually, um, I used to work at um, a, a Staples, so it was really convenient to get my zines printed there, um, you know, because you get, like, a discount and everything. So, basically, um, I would stay up for, like, long hours, like, sometimes after work, like, putting these things together, whether that was, like, at work or at home. But, like, as far as um, actually... Uh, cutting and like pasting stuff it took it takes so much time because you know you type it up on the computer or on a typewriter you print it out and you have to cut everything and then tape everything i i mean like i prefer tape to a glue stick and i know it's more cumbersome but i guess it, it gives it more of a organic i guess feel you know yeah like um just it's there's less things that are like rough around the edges and all that yeah but um let me just just say something. Let me just kill this. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, sorry about that. Um, but I mean, it's just... Like, how much of a punk vibe were you going th for with, like, this zine? Um, it really depends. I didn't really actually have an aesthetic in mind until it started coming together. The way it started, I think, was um, I was on campus at a Bergen community and I was just doodling some vampires and I drew um, this one in pencil that I really liked so I traced it over and did it in marker and it came out really nice and I uh, and once I decided on the name um, 
I made it like holding like a heart for it to be like symbolic. But I really wasn't even, I guess, going for like a punk vibe. I was mm. kind of waiting for it to find its own thing, which I guess is punk in its own way. <laughs> I don't know. Definitely. Like, um, taking a look at the back and it's like interview with Mr. Orbis, the Magic 8-Ball. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. What was it like doing that? Oh, my God. Okay, so basically the story behind Mr. Orbis, the Magic 8-Ball, is me and my friend, um, we go up to the Adirondacks pretty much every year because, like, her grandparents have, like, this lake house and we hang out with her family. And so um, there is actually this, like, one arcade up there called Calypso's Cove. And uh, we played, like, a bunch of the games and we won a bunch of tickets and we won this eight ball that we took home. And we started asking it, like, really bizarre questions and, like, laughing our heads off. So um, I decided to incorporate that into my zine in which there's, like, a very serious, like, interviewer, I guess, asking this somehow sentient Magic 8-Ball questions. And the Magic 8-Ball, of course, is only is confined to saying things like no and the stars say yes. So it's kind of comical in that way, I guess. Um, and then, like, the idea is that at the very end of the interview, um, the eight ball kind of, like, uh, surprisingly answers, like, one question with, like, a whole paragraph of, like, very intellectual or, like, philosophical um, <laughs> ideas and scares the interviewer. And that's the idea. <laughs> Why not for, like, a future issue, you, like, have, like, a Ouija board transcript? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm kind of scared of those things. Remember, you'll be safe as long as you do it when you're alone and nobody's around. True. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, you ever see any Ouija board movies? Ouija board movies? Um, I feel like I've seen one, and I forget which one it is, but, like, oh, my gosh. It's so funny because I feel like, you know, there are a bunch of kids playing with a Ouija board, and it's like, guys, don't do that, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, like, I've seen enough Ouija board movies, and it's just, like, some of them, like, what happens in them is, like, more horrible than the others. Like, I'd say, like, the worst one I ever saw was this movie from Australia called Allison's Birthday. Yeah. Where, like, this girl, like, when she was a teenager, she ends up, like, playing with a Ouija board, and, like, the people who take care of her are not, like, her parents. They're actually kind of, like these people that, like, kidnapped her. And, like, it's so crazy because, like, at the end, there's, like, this crazy cult and they end up, like, doing, like, this body, like, transfusion thing. Oh, wow. Of, like, with, the like, one person's soul into another person's body. That's intense. And, like, her boyfriend ends up getting killed and then she ends up being stuck in, like, this 100-year-old woman's body and she's, like, an 18-year-old girl and oh, it's just, God. like... That's like the ultimate hell. That's it's, terrifying. Yeah. Um, I'd say that that's just such a dark concept and it's so out there. But um But it's like strangely lovable at the same time because of how out there it is. Yeah, I mean it, it's there were so many really really very imaginative uh stories from like the 1980s. But I mean, think about something from Australia. Like I mean, it's just like wow, you know. Oh, yeah. But, um, I mean, just like with me, like horror movies, it's just like you got to love Hellraiser. Like just Pinhead, I always viewed him mm -hmm. as just such like a great protagonist. Right, yeah. Um, Me, myself, I'm more into like, 
I don't know. I have. I just love like alien movies. I'm kind of new to the whole like horror movie thing as well. So I guess I'm getting into zines and horror movies, and I'm being exposed to this whole new like world all at once. But um, my favorite horror movies tend to be like alien movies. Like I love alien abduction kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's like really campy or whether it's uh, absolutely terrifying. I think like. For um, especially those kind of mu- movies, uh, the sound effects really make it. If you have really good, like, um, deep sound effects, uh, your whole movie is going to be definitely better for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you really, I feel like just, I did like this top 10 th- list on Yakuza movies. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, every one of those films had really amazing, like, soundtracks. Like, the musicians involved in it, it's just like, wow, you know. You don't hear this music ever. This is this is amazing stuff. Yeah, it's always beautiful when uh, something that's never been heard before kind of like comes to life, and you're like, "Wow, I'm hearing this," you know. Definitely. Um, so, like, for issue four, mm-hmm. um, how much of a horror focus do you imagine? Because I'm looking at this, like, in the the fold out section, I see a quote from Edgar Allan Poe: "Those who dream by day are cognizant." are cognizant of many things which escape those who dream only by night. Actually, um, for the fourth one, I'm, I'm actually not seeking a horror vibe. It definitely has some like very light macabre stuff in there. It was intended to be more of a horror vibe in the first one, but it's kind of evolving to be like whimsical and like it's supposed to be like kind of an oddball, I guess. Um, or not supposed to be, it just kind of turned out that way. But um, I guess for the fourth one, I actually do have some art that didn't quite... Um, that I haven't, like, cut out and pasted yet. And uh, I have, like, an image here of, like, I actually drew my hand and, like, some miniature, like, gravestones and bones and, like, skulls, like, sprinkled in the middle. Um, I also uh, wrote, I also drew, like, this, like, machine, uh, this industrial machine, and there's, like, a sign next to it that says out of service. And there's also, like, this product that's like it's wrapped in like plastic and has a gravestone in it. It's really difficult to explain, but uh, I guess uh, everybody will see it when it comes out. What type of focus do you have for uh, the features printed inside, like your typical zine? Um, it's kind of funny because I didn't really have a focus in mind when I wrote it. Uh, it was one of those things that I did. Um, actually, another reason why the zine started is because I went through like a really bad songwriting drought. And I kind of needed something to fill that space because I had an urge to keep just, like, making something even though I couldn't write songs. So Machinery of the Human Heart came to life. And I decided that, you know what, whatever I wanted to put into it, I'd put into it. And um, so I don't really have a focus, I guess. And it's one of those things where you just kind of throw it out to the world. And whoever catches it, catches it. And whoever catches it are the right people for it, I guess. Now, like, what have been some times when, like, you were, like, getting the attention from somebody that's, like, way outside the tri-state area. Oh, man, yeah. This was, like, crazy. Um, Yeah, I would log into like, my Google or, or whatever. I actually have two different forms. I was in the midst of, uh, I guess, changing my sign-up forms and everything and never quite got around to it. But, um, yeah, and then all of a sudden I see that somebody from, like, Japan subscribed. So, like, I send... Uh, a zine by snail mail all the way to you know this guy in Japan, somebody in California, I think, um, somebody in Seattle, uh, yeah. So it's it's kind of like really reaching out, and I I think that was amazing. Um, I think I really used the power of the internet for that. Um, 
it's one of those things where you just post it and wherever it goes, it goes. You know, you post a subscription thing and like a little intro to what it's about. Um, but that's really amazing. And I think that really speaks to, I guess, the power of, you know, what what art can do. Now, like, what are you trying to say with the title, Machinery of the Human Heart? Um, I think it was meant to question readers. Like, if you look on the inside, um, not like the inside of the cover, but like the first page, and it says, what is this madness? Are we talking about actual machinery, a literal human heart, a figurative one, or all of the above? You get to think freely and decide for yourself without being right or wrong, and that's pretty cool. So I guess um, it was like the uh, juxtaposition of something that's very, like, mechanical machinery of course and then you have a human heart which we think of as being organic and you think how can there be machinery to something that um seems to have like a life of its own you know we were talking about uh the zine machinery of the human heart i believe the second one mm -hmm. um yeah. like typically is most of the things you write in here like what type of situation are you in where you're like just sitting down and you're like this idea, this idea right here and now, it's going in the scene. Right. Um, it's, it's so strange because it's, it's uh, sometimes a gradual process. Sometimes there's no process at all. Um, like, uh, I guess I wanted to uh, hit people with something, I guess, more serious. And I think it's like the second page, I guess. And you see a picture of an organ and you see lyrics. Um, they're actually from a song of mine called Walking Out Alone that I'd written for a friend. And um, I guess I, I kind of knew in my mind that I kind of wanted a I kind of wanted a visual to go along with it to kind of show what I was thinking. And it's it's about like a funeral, I guess. Um, and I'd gotten the idea because there's this comic that um, I read like a long time ago called The Umbrella Academy. And I don't remember a whole lot of it because it was so long ago that I read it, but um, one of the parts that stuck out to me were um, these song lyrics that showed like these characters going through these um, grave situations, and they had the song lyrics overlaid, and I think that's what inspired me to do this. Now, like, I'm looking at this one page, and you write, like, I used to hear the music playing as I fell asleep. Right. And then it's just like, it's totally, like different at the bottom where you're like my life has been a thing of trust of rolling dice and guessing games i take my gambles as i must and yet you love me all the same like just mm -hmm. what was it like just coming up with like those words just because like they're so different oh definitely um i've been writing for a while i'm 20 now i i started writing when i was like i i think or actually seriously writing songs when i was 14 and I really dove into it. It was, like, um, the central point of my life, I guess. And um, I used to hear the music playing as I fell asleep is actually um, kind of a line from a song that I was writing that never quite made it, I guess, into my final book of things that I really like that are finished and polished and ready to record. Um, and it's really what it's about. It's about um, the way MHH got started, which was my lack of songwriting inspiration. And... Um, you know, it's a beautiful experience writing music, and I kind of missed that, I guess, and wishing that that inspiration would come to me again. And so that's what this page is about. Damn. Like, I mean, it's just... What type of, like, uh, artistic classes are you involved in in college right now? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so funny. So I drew all throughout high school, 
And I focused on music, though. I was in all band classes and music theory and marching band. I was heavily involved in that and never quite got into the arts because then, you know, I made it to wind ensemble, um, which is like a more serious, like smaller, like select, I guess, group of band people. (laughs) So um, I never really took art classes in high school. And so in college, I decided, you know what, I want to be an art major. So I switched my major from psychology to art. And I'm taking actually my first art classes this semester, which has been like, just such a learning experience. And I'm so grateful to have it. Um, So I'm taking drawing fundamentals right now, we're doing like a lot of still lifes and stuff. And I'm actually having a lot of fun with it. Um, And the other class that I'm taking, which I think is my favorite class, uh, is two-dimensional design, and we're looking at, like, logo designs and things like that, and uh, it's a much, like, freer class, and so, you know, you don't have to sit down and draw what's in front of you. You can think of something completely on your own to symbolize a given idea, uh, which I enjoy a lot more because it gives you more space to make what you want. Definitely. You have anything more you want to add on that? On that, um, you know what? I'm just going to add this, I guess. Um, I think that's kind of been my philosophy. I think um, that honestly, you should just go for like what you want. Don't worry about what other people are are doing uh, or saying. Um, sometimes rules are valuable because uh, they give you like a certain construct, and sometimes you have to think harder to in order to work around them. And sometimes creativity comes that way. And sometimes um, it's just completely open ended. And when it is, uh, take charge of it and just. Do what you feel um, that you want to do. Um, try not to let it be influenced by any kind of, like, ingenuine, I guess, uh, like, influences or things that you don't really feel, like, connected with. Just go for whatever you like. Now, I'm just wondering, are you, like, a bit of a fan of Terry Gilliam from Monty Python, the guy that did those crazy cartoons? Oh, my gosh, I love Monty Python. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at the foldout, and I'm thinking... I totally see, like, the influence there. Yeah, that was totally the idea behind it. I'm so glad that you caught on to that and that, like, somebody yeah. thought of that because I was, like, so afraid that nobody would, like, you know, bring it up or whatever. But that's totally what I was thinking of. Um, Monty Python and uh, the Holy Grail is one of my favorite movies. Um, I, I, I love, like, absurd, funny kind of stuff. For some yeah. reason, it just really makes me laugh. I mean, I always thought it was crazy just because, like, Terry Gilliam was, like, the only non-British person in Monty Python, but he had, like, such a crazy personality and vibe that it's just, like, he's, like, irreplaceable. Yeah, like, he totally worked in that, you know? Definitely. Um, I I also watched a bunch of the sketches online. Like, I think the reason why I found out about Monty Python in the first place is because uh, when I was, like, 12 or something, a friend of mine sent me a video of the Ministry of Silly Walks, and um, I, I just started, like, researching more of the of the uh, skits from there. And like, I found like the dead parrot one and I showed my family and they were like, Oh yeah, this actually has a movie. And I was like, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Like there were like, I think like six Monty Python movies, but it's just like, Oh man. If you remember 1990s comedy central, it was fantastic with some of the things they put on there, but also it was really atrocious too. (laughs) But um, (laughs) it, it was good times, but I mean, they had like, some great stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I wish I, I could have, like, grown up to experience that because, like, I was a, a really little kid um, back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, but, I mean, it's just, like, 
nowadays, like, they have these crazy DVD sets right. of all these things. And it was just like, it would have been nearly impossible to collect all that stuff mm-hmm. in one place. And also, it's just like, think about, like, back in the days of VHS. It's just like, no, that, that'll be horrible. Like, you'd be, like, <laughs> writing to somebody somewhere and you'd have to have, like, hundreds of VHS tapes just to collect, like, the entire Monty Python episode collection or something like that. But it's just, like... Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like um, VHSs are, are interesting for, like, their, I guess, their vintage... It's so weird saying this because, like, I grew up in the 90s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I guess aesthetic is pretty cool, but I feel like um, yeah, modern technology is definitely more efficient in uh, in holding data. But I mean, there's a thing about old technology that like there's certain things that never made it across. Right. Like I mean, there's a lot of horror movies that never made it past VHS. Yeah, and and that's strange because like I feel like they're probably somewhere out there in the world waiting for somebody to pick them up, and I'd love to know where they are because I still have a VHS player and I still have a bunch of movies from when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just like one of the coolest things I remember when I was younger. I'd loved going into like video rental stores and just going into the horror movie section and just be like, "Oh, this is so awesome!" Just looking right. at the box art, and it's just like you, you can't do that at all now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can do it to some extent being in like a video store, like maybe I don't think even FYE exists anymore, but I mean, like some sort of place. But I mean, it's just all like the really old school movies. You can't find them except in like really crazy specialty stores. Yeah. I mean, as far as what you were saying about like the design of like the boxes and everything, um, I think that, you know, there's some potential for creating art for movies of course like you know on the front cover and everything but i think it's really awesome when you have like a full vhs there's like more ground cover there you know and um i I thought it was really cool and you know um i guess whoever was you know marketing and like designing the product would like choose to make the tape like a different color like you know the rugrats movie i think was like Mm -hmm. orange or something or green maybe (laughs) i'm not sure but um i guess who do you look at as, like, the creator of, like, the best zine there is right now? Oh, God, that's so tough. Um, I think that for each, um, I feel like zines are made for, like, niche, I guess, like... Totally. Audiences, you know? So it's difficult to pick, like, the best one. Um, but I really think that, like, I can give a personal favorite, I guess. Um, I was actually just, like, really, like, delving into different zines, I guess, today, um... Because I was, like, like I guess, like, hungry for some, like, pop art. Because uh, I really think that stuff is cool. And I came across this one, um, actually, on uh, Tumblr that I think was called Diamond Riot or Riot Diamond. I think it was Diamond Riot. And it was really amazing. Um, it's basically, like, it's not, like, your average pop art. It has, like, these really cool, like, monsters and creatures. And uh, um, it has these, like, heavily edited, beautiful colorful like gaudy photos with um cartoon images you know kind of like uh deposited onto them and I thought that was really creative and really awesome and uh I have like a thing for like lots of clashing colors like that's my favorite thing to look at and so it really caught my eye um it's actually like 21 pages long and like you can name your price and download it so check it out but I mean it's just like I feel like you know 
there's not enough like love for like the physical product anymore. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just it's cool to download something, but I mean, it's it's a whole nother thing to be able to like have like a box of stuff to look at and right. like scroll through. Yeah, um, that that tends to be my stance too. Like for me personally, but I understand why people would like different things and embrace the technology um, that we have. Uh, but me personally, I really like uh, what you said, like physical copies of books, of zines, um, of records, because it's so cool. I think when you open up a record and you have more album art that you couldn't have gotten even in a CD um, that was made just specifically for the vinyl. And there's a pullout with like photography of the band and like the lyrics are made in a really cool format. Um so I think that stuff is really awesome, something tangible that you can hold in your hand. But again, like, I understand why um, people love, like, the Internet, I guess, also as, like, a resource. Now, on that note, why don't we play Emptiness from Silverbird and gear up for the second hour of the program? Sounds awesome.
Hey, what's up? You're listening to Japanic's Rock and Metal Pandemonium. Tonight we have an interview with Danny Simonisi. And um, Danny, tell us uh, what, what what went down in this first hour of the interview. First hour of the interview, we discussed like a lot of stuff. Um, have this great uh, collection here of, of different zines. There's Head Split, Subterranean. We looked at some of those. Talked about some of my inspirations and my intentions artistically uh, with the zine. I guess, and kind of like summed up that I wasn't really going for like a, a specific aesthetic. I just kind of put what I loved in there. Um, we also talked about like horror movies and stuff, and uh, and technology and how it's changing, and the way that we consume media. And uh, now here we are. That's awesome. Now, um, I guess let me get ready to. Uh transfer the next uh, show over. Can you help me read a news broadcast from the BBC? Ah, uh, totally. Come here. Pope Dog's craze triggered by papal visit. Oh, come where here. is it? Seriously, come here. Okay, cool. Woo, here we go. Oh, do I read it? 